I want us to take this to heart during this week. I was watching uh, someone preach, and while they were preaching, they put images behind them of um, mothers fleeing with their children as Mary did. Um, pregnant mothers unsure of what will happen to their child because they were poor. Um, long, arduous journeys that refugees were taking. Nations where persecution is happening. These were the pictures that were being cast on the screen as the person was preaching. And it's very unreal for us, like I said, because of our romanticized uh, stained glass version of the nativity. But um, I just want to read the scripture and I pray that almost all of us, without exception, will be able to partake in these scriptures. So I'm reading from Matthew 35, verse 35 to 40. Matthew 20, sorry, Matthew 25, 35 to 40. If you haven't watched this movie, and it's a really old movie and people laugh at me every time I repeat it every year. It's called The Fourth Wise Man. The Fourth Wise Man. You should watch it. It's a Martin Sheen movie. And it kind of goes down this road. So let me just read it. Matthew 25, 35 to 40. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. When I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when that's godly as in you. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or give you food and something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and invite you in? When did we see you poorly clothed and cover you? When did we see you sick and tenderly care for you? Or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Don't you know? When you cared for one of the least important of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. Love that line. And the king will answer them. Don't you know? When you cared for one of the least important of these, my little ones, may you find the least important in the eyes of the world who are highly treasured in the eyes of the king. May you find them between now and Christmas, eh? May you find at least one that you can be Christ to. Yeah? Cool. Hey guys, before I preach, um, I just thought I'll throw this up on the video. I really liked what uh, Josh and Charlene did. Um, and if you haven't already watched it, uh, here's a chance to watch it. It's pretty good. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold 
so deep. Noel, 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 Noel. Born is the King of Israel. A look it up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far and to the earth it gave great light and so it continued both day and night no was trying there <laughs> but we should leave the singing to Charlene yeah. okay guys today's teaching if you want a title is breaking in breaking in breaking in um, guys Christmas is a breaking in of the kingdom Christmas is a breaking in of the kingdom if you go to Galatians 4:4. Galatians 4.4. It talks about how at a certain point in the fullness of time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So, it's the breaking in of something that God had promised uh, when he spoke to Adam and Eve when they fell. That the seed will come and he will crush the serpent's head. And so Christmas is the breaking in of the kingdom. And Mary actually recognized this. Mary recognized this and she sings it in Luke chapter 1, verse 50 to 55. Luke chapter 1, 50 to 55. Mary recognizes it and she begins to sing. She sings of a flawed world 
into which a new king enters and he turns things upside down. That's literally what she's singing. Few think that Mary was actually prophetic, but in this song uh, of praise, she's actually prophetic when she says that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful in Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. So in this, she's talking about a flawed world into which a king enters who throws the tyrants off brings in new order, who takes care of the poor and the uh, wretched, who brings to pass exactly what Jesus later does in um, uh, Matthew 5 when he talks about the Beatitudes. And this was something that was already spoken of in um, Haggai chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Guys, I've got an echo on this thingy, if I could not have it somehow. Haggai chapter 2. Verse 22 and 23, you see um, mention of a new king and a new kingdom in the form of Zerubbabel. Haggai chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. I'm just bringing all this up so you know how neatly the Old and the New Testament are tied up together. And so it says um, in 22 and 23, I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I'll make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And so we see Mary singing of a new king and a kingdom breaking into a broken world. And whenever God wants to break into your life situation, he does it through the spirit and the spirit broods or hovers or overshadows whatever God is planning to break into. And to the degree that uh, the vessel that is going to be broken into responds, to that degree God accomplishes or births his purpose. So if you go to Luke 135, if you go to Luke 135, you see that happening with Mary. I'll read from the message, Luke one thirty-five. Luke one thirty-five. And it says there, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called holy, the son of God. And so, uh, uh, grasp this principally, that whenever God wants to break into something, into your life, into a situation in the world, what he does is, before even people know of it, before anybody catches whiff of it, he already has the Holy Spirit brooding over or hovering over that which he wants to affect so that his desire may be birthed. It's the same with us. First, he wants to break into my life. And after breaking into my life, he wants to break into lives through me. 
First, he wants to break into my life. And after breaking into my life, he wants to break into lives through me. Far before God reveals to me that he wants me to change or become something or do something, the Holy Spirit is already brooding and hovering, saying, all right, I hope Jacob sees what I'm trying to say and responds. And the moment he does, the Spirit of God is able to bring the change. And then we are supposed to function the same way with others, where we function like the Spirit, brooding over them, hovering over them, releasing the word, waiting for the moment when they open up. One of the things I sense God saying, and um, <laughs> I sometimes dislike using words like this, but what do you do if this is what God is saying? I, I, I sense God saying, listen, there's an anointing for breaking in that is present today. An anointing for breaking in that is present today. As in, I am present with my power. That is what he means by anointing. I am present with my power to break into your lives in certain areas and then break through your lives into other lives, other situations, other nations, as individuals and as a church. And my power is present to do that. We read that in the Gospels where it says, and the power of God to heal was present with Jesus. And I'm saying to you, based on faith, and what I heard, um, that the anointing, to break into your life and then break through your life into nations, people's, families, situations is present here today. And I'm hoping that at the end of the service, we are able to respond. So here are some of the conditions that really uh, catalyze the hovering of the Holy Spirit over you and the breaking in of the Holy Spirit over you. Here are some of the conditions. Raful, can I have a tiny bit of volume or let me hear myself a little better? One or the other. Okay. So the first principle is know your beginning. Know your beginning and I'll explain it. Sounds kind of weird, but uh, know your beginning. Know your beginning. you go to Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2, know your beginning. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It says first, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Know your beginning, as in know the areas of your void. Know the face of your waters. Know it. This is my condition, O oh God. One of the things that happens when um, um, we don't know our condition is we don't know that we require surgery. We don't know we require replacement. We don't know we require change. One of the ways to know your beginning or know your condition or know your void or know your uh, know the face of the waters in your life is the word because the word is a perfect mirror that exposes things that aside there are others in your life that can help you see areas where there is a void or where the face of the waters in your life need to be changed know your beginning 
If you haven't already begun the process, which we started at least two weeks ago in this church, then find time. Because otherwise, next year will be a repeat of this year without COVID. Know your beginning. Know your void. Know the face of your waters. Know the areas that you've been failing in. Know the stubbornness, the frustrations, the areas that haven't changed. Know it. And the Spirit of God is pointing it out. He's pointed it out many times. And he gives you opportunities, eh? To correct it. Once you know your void, the next thing to know is know the words spoken over you. 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 A void is something the Spirit of God loves to fill. The face of the waters, if turbulent, He loves to calm. But one of the things he wants to do before that is to have you go and check the words spoken over you so that you may agree with him. Agreement with God is what causes God to begin to move in with you because it says in Amos 3, verse 3, I think, can two walk together except they be agreed? Know the words spoken over you. It causes the hovering of the Holy Spirit now to become a breaking in. Function the same way with others. Function like the Spirit over others. Discern their Genesis point. Discern where they are at. Discern the void in their lives. Discern the face of the waters in their lives. It's not one size fit all. It's one of the favorite things I like doing as I sit with someone new, or sit with a stranger. Father, what is the void in their life? Father, what is it that uh, is happening in their lives? Can you show? Because once he shows, now you can say or do things just like the Spirit of God would do with you. Where initially you speak a word that they may be able to receive or will receive later. Once they do that, you keep meeting them with them again because the Spirit of God broods. The word brood has in it patience and long-term patience. Where over a period of time, people begin to change. Function like the Spirit over others. Discern their Genesis point. Discern the direction of the Spirit. Isaiah 28 verse 23 to 29 puts it so well in terms of not treating everybody just as you were treated or just as you think they should be treated. Isaiah 28, verse 23 to 29. It's so instructive and it comes from the Lord, it says. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plow for sowing plow continually? Does he who continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as a border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. All these things are totally unfamiliar to me. I know salt and pepper. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does, thresh, does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Brilliant. 
This is how the Holy Spirit deals with us. This is how we deal with others. We're not just talking about the Holy Spirit breaking into my life. We're talking about the Holy Spirit breaking into my life and then me being able to break into other lives, into other situations, into other nations. Acts 29 must have a sense of the Genesis point of nations, of the face of the waters and the void in nations so that at the appropriate time we are able to enter precisely as the Holy Spirit want us, wants us to because he is brooding over Certain nations, certain situations, certain families, certain individuals. The strange thing is the Holy Spirit chooses to work through people. He can do it himself. But he chooses to work through people. The next principle that really helps us... Um, um, become absolutely pliable to this hovering of the Holy Spirit and his breaking in, is to be a unified man or woman. A unified man or woman. In Psalm 86, verse 11, David says, Unite my heart to fear you, O God. Unite my heart to fear you, O God. There is something to being a unified man. And I think it's important for us as we go forward into 2021 as a church. A unified man. As in, let your outer man, let your outer man, let your outer man, that is, your will, your thoughts, your emotions, let your outer man and inner man as in the new spirit man, be in sync. Be in sync. Quite often our will is more conditioned to the buzz of the iPhone than to the buzz of the Holy Spirit. I mean the way we react to everything is dropped because the iPhone is buzzing. It doesn't matter how loudly the Holy Spirit buzzes, it's odd how our outer man, our will, thought, and emotions is so conditioned to things that are in the, on the external. And therefore, once you're divided, it is very hard for the Holy Spirit to break into your life, even though he's brooding and hovering. You see this with Mary and with Zechariah. Mary was someone who was able to unite her outer and inner person. Zechariah wasn't, even though he was more learned. Both of them were asked the same question. Both of them asked the same question. How can it be? Zechariah was told, your wife is going to have a son. His question was, how can it be? Because he couldn't believe. Mary was told, you are going to have a son and you're a virgin, yet you're going to have a son. She asks the same question, how can it be? But somewhere in her heart, she was able to take what she felt in her will, her thoughts and emotion, and match it with who she was. The Holy Spirit loves working with those that are able to let the inner man rule over the external, rule over the will, rule over the thoughts, rule over the emotions. He loves it because now he's not dealing with a divided person. It's much easier to break into a person who is one than a person who is divided. 
When a person is divided, there is a need to work on the will, thought and emotions because the inner man knows what is true. But now you have this battle with, but this is what I want. But these, is, these are my thoughts. These are my desires. There's this clash. I have to learn how to unite my heart to fear God so that the Holy Spirit finds me very easy to work with because almost everything he asks of me will be beyond my logic, beyond the five senses and contrary to my fleshly desires. The soul, if allowed to dominate, is like an octopus that covers the ears and eyes of the spirit. The soul, if allowed to dominate, is like an octopus that covers the eyes and the ears of my spirit with tentacles of logic, with tentacles of desire, with tentacles of five senses. It just blinds me and deafens me so that the Holy Spirit now has to pull double time because he's got to first make my will pliable. He has to renew my thoughts. He has to get me to a place where my emotions and my desires don't drive me. He has to get to me to a place where five senses aren't what dictates my direction. There is so much more work involved if my person is not united. If you want God to hover over you, and if you want God to take you through a process without striking you dumb, like he did with Zechariah, then uniting your outer and inner man is critical. I remember saying this line four or five years ago, and it's a brilliant line. Things which are seen in my life must not be made from things that are visible. Things which are seen in my life must not be made from things that are visible. Hebrews 11.3 talks about it. Significant things in my life, significant events in my life, significant movements in my life, significant progress in my life, significant challenges in my life, significant adventures in my life, significant directions in my life must not be made out of that which is visible. It must be drawn from a realm that is invisible but is solidly rooted in God. When that happens, my life begins to show God. When that does not happen, my life shows you the best of Jacob. And the best of Jacob is like filthy rags on his best day compared to what God can do. The third principle that really helps the life of the Spirit to hover and then break in and flow through you is the idea of operating in order. The idea of operating in order. Wherever there is order, it provokes the... Wherever there is order, it provokes the anointing of the Spirit, and it forges unity. Wherever there is order, it provokes the anointing of the Spirit, as in His presence, and it forges unity. Psalm 133, verse 1 and 2, give evidence of this, where it says, 
sure, it starts off with the idea of how blessed are the brothers and sisters who dwell together. So it starts off with the idea of unity, but then it talks about how the unity is achieved. The unity is achieved because the body is connected to the head, and the oil that flows from the head begins to go down the face, down the beard, into the garments, into the body. The idea is wherever there is order, whenever, whenever, whenever there is divine order anywhere, Whenever, and the kind of order that is um, um, prevalent because of a culture of honor, order that is prevalent because of fear, order that is prevalent because of forced submission, order that is prevalent because of dictatorial uh, leaders is not the kind of order that is tethered to the nature of God. Order that is tethered to the nature of God has in it, on one hand, an arrangement or a hierarchy that is based on the principle of honor both ways, bottom to top, top to bottom. Wherever there is order, you will find two things happening. One, the Holy Spirit turns up, and two, he forges the kind of one accordness or unity that uh, can only be achieved in the church, eh? Only the Holy Spirit knows how to connect one bone to the other the correct way, to reform the structure of the bones, to revive dead bones, as it says in Ezekiel 37. One of the things you can be assured of at Acts 29, I'm not saying it because I'm the pastor, I'm not saying it with any degree of proud pride, but the thing is, if you join this church, you will find that regardless of the condition of the bone that you are, whether you're decaying, whether you're thriving, whether you are lost, whether you are found, any bone that enters this body will, by the power of the Spirit, be located correctly. If you are a fibia, you'll be placed right next to the tibia. Uh, both bones are wrong, eh? But the point is, it, it, you'll fit correctly in this body. Not because the body has amazing leaders or stuff like this. They do. But because the Holy Spirit knows how to put bones together in this body. You will always find your place in this body. This is, this, is a, this, this is a gift that the Holy Spirit has given to this body. You will always find your place. You will always know where you best fit. And in that fit, you will begin to grow. Guaranteed. There's one catch, though, to this whole order thing. You can isolate and submit to order, or you can... Be vitally connected and you can submit to order. You can isolate and submit to order, or you can vitally be vitally connected and submit to order. In both cases, the benefits are the same, but the experience is different. And I'll illustrate this from the scriptures. This is so important for all of us listening, and for some of us, it is even more critical for you in the coming year. Because this church, surprisingly, is a church that cherishes order. But make sure that in your submission to order, you're not isolated, but in your submission to order, you are vitally connected. The benefits are the same, but the experience is different. Eh? Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Look at Numbers chapter 11. 
You'll get all the benefits, but the experience is just not the same. Numbers chapter 11. Verse 16 and 17 first, and then we'll go to 25 and 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with me. Again, there's an arrangement, and order always has an arrangement, and it is not... Uh, a, a, a structure that doesn't change. The idea of God when it comes to arrangements is that we continuously move upwards to his calling. And so initially he calls these 70. Verse 17, And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And so when a people appear before God in order, at his command, God begins to pour his spirit who has been hovering over them, upon them. But now look at 25 to 29. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. As soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. The benefits were the same. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them? And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The point here being, Eldad and Medad were, did, chose for whatever reason not to go up when Moses summoned them up the mountain. They stayed in the camp. They had the Spirit of God fall upon them. They prophesied. But guess what they missed out on? You can have the benefits, but you can miss out on the experience. And what is the experience? The experience was being in the presence of God, being consumed by the same Shekinah cloud that Moses was to experience later. Being in the presence of God and having something happen to them and being away from the presence of God and having something happen to them. The benefits were the same. The experience was completely different. I plead with you. And I know I'm getting bolder sometimes in my preaching. But I plead with you. Stop your isolation. Be vitally connected. Just on a point on the side, I love verse 29. Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And it did happen on Pentecost, man. And it is okay and normal for Christians to prophesy encouragement, edification, and exhortation, according to 1 Corinthians 14. It is something that churches must engage in. That everybody in a church prophesies or uh, prophesies particularly along the lines of 1 Corinthians 14.3 is very normal. It should be the norm. It's not abnormal. 
Just because the prophetic is abused does not mean that it becomes untrue. Only that which is true is abused so that it may get a bad rep and may be put away. The next point. What are we talking about? What helps the Holy Spirit who hovers over us to break into our lives with ease? What helps? What catalyzes it? What makes it something that you enjoy entering into and experience? What makes it easy? The next one is rest. 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 Rest really helps the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Rest is desisting from self-effort. Rest is to desist from self-effort. Rest is to desist from self-effort. To forsake self-effort. To move only when the cloud moves. To move only after hearing a proceeding word. Exodus 40, verse, 20, verse 36 and 37. Um, Israel learned that and every so often forgot that. Exodus 40... Verse 36 and 37. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. As in, if it stayed put for 40 days, there ain't no movement for 40 days. Can you imagine that kind of life? That is when you forsake self-effort and you move only by the cloud and the proceeding word of God. Rest is critical to the Holy Spirit who hovers over you, coming into your life. Because, guys, we don't think like this, but God has appointed times for everything. And the reason he has appointed times is he knows when the moment is mature. So the disciples waited in Jerusalem 10 days after the ascension. They didn't leave. They went up to that mountain, saw Jesus disappear behind the clouds and they could have gone back to their old ways but he had told them, wait in Jerusalem. And so they wait. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, seven days. Surely seven is God's favorite number. Time to leave now. No, eight days, nine days, ten days. And then suddenly the wind of the Spirit breaks in in the form of tongues of fire and it changes the entire world. Guys, it changes the entire world. Do you know the number of people that leave a day before it is actually going to happen? I remember this really sad story told by a friend of mine in South Africa who had a man who was trusting God uh, for a change in fortunes and nothing happened and then two weeks uh, before the incident occurred, he comes up to this pastor called Segi and he says, um, all this stuff is so untrue, it's not real, God isn't faithful and all this stuff and he leaves. Two weeks later, a man comes to him, uh, comes to the pastor with an envelope, uh, with a check that is so massive and he gives him the check saying, I want to give it to this man and he names the man. But the man had left, he did not give a forwarding address, he was very upset and he leaves. That story makes it a little more tangible. What about intangible things that we can't measure in terms of money and stuff like that? The number of times people leave because they cannot rest anymore. And when they leave, what are they leaving to? They're leaving to...
to engage in frantic activity to bring to pass what God had said because resting ain't cutting it because it feels like you're doing nothing. But the strange thing is inactivity from God's point of view is some of the best times to learn his nature. Rest is a time of training and building where you possess nothing but God and his nature by faith through his word. Guys, for me, when COVID began, it is like a horse with a bit in its mouth. I was traveling every two and a half weeks. I was pleading with God, please send me somewhere. I don't, uh, it's okay, I can go during COVID. Let me serve you during COVID. I tried every trick in the book. To uh, manipulate him. It's been 10 months since I saw the inside of a plane. And it has been some of the best months of my life. One, because I get to spend it with you. And I mean that in such sincerity that even I am a little surprised. And... Two, it's just enriched my life and has enriched others' lives because of what God has been able to do. The point being, rest is a time of training and building where you possess nothing but God and his nature through the word by faith. And times of rest precede burning bush encounters. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Uh, These are are patterns in the word. Times of rest precede burning bush encounters. I've experienced this in my life. I've seen it in the Bible. I've seen it in other people's lives. It precedes burning bush encounters. It preceded Moses' burning bush encounter. 40 years of rest. It preceded Jesus' encounters. 40 days in the wilderness. It precedes Paul's encounters, years spent in the deserts of Sinai and in Damascus. It precedes the revelations of John on the island of Patmos. Moses, in Exodus um, 24, 15 to 18, God calls Moses up the mountain. But Moses is smart. He knows how this God works. If you go to Exodus 24... He won't move till he hears a command. It is a hard thing to do. It is like horses that are trained not to move a muscle till you say so. So God's already called Moses up, starting at verse 14, chapter 24, Exodus. And he said unto the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. As in, go ahead. Yeah, so what if you did not wait, and you moved on ahead, And now what happens? Does that uh, opportunity that you missed come back? How does that work? Different ways. One, God 
sends the opportunity your way again because God is interested in your growth, not in time. So he has all the time in the world, so he'll have the same opportunity come again so that you may have another shot at it. Hopefully by now I've learned because I can again make the same mistake. God keeps bringing back opportunities into my life. The only difference is the more opportunities I squander, the lesser time I have to accomplish what he has set for me. So if there was a task I was supposed to do over a period of seven years and I kept messing up the first three years and finally get the hang of it, I now have four years to do it when I could have had seven years to do it. Another way he restores is by giving you back the years the locusts have eaten because sometimes missing an opportunity comes through sheer disobedience and rebellion and that is when locusts enter too. It's not just missing an opportunity because you were stubborn or because you squandered something out of just callousness. This is deliberate rebellion and disobedience. In times like that, even with Ahab, a very evil king, God would give them another opportunity. He would try to restore the years the locusts have eaten. That's the second way it happens. The third is to beg with tears saying, Oh God, I missed out. Please, 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 Father, please can you come back and give me another shot at it. And like Hezekiah, you can get another shot at it. But if you make a habit of it, Then another scripture from Hebrews 13 kicks in, or Hebrews 12 kicks in, which says that uh, Esau begged with tears, but it was of no avail. So God doesn't mind being taken advantage of. God doesn't mind being exploited, but God is not mocked. And there is this fine line between taken advantage, exploited, and mocked. And it is when I cross into the mocking that things become a little difficult. Moses would not go up. So verse 16, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And here is Moses waiting. I'm talking about seven days, man. He's waiting on the mountain. God's already said come up, but he won't step into the cloud till he hears the proceeding word saying come. Then he steps up. Six days he waits. Seven day he steps into the cloud. And then he's in the cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. What is this cloud? The cloud was the absolute glory, the Shekinah of God that Moses now enters. There is this thing to resting till God says come or till God says go. And it is such a hard thing to learn because most of us want to be wild stallion thoroughbreds who roam the whatever stallions roam Uh, and God's really not interested that aside rest if learnt disadvantages the devil rest if if learnt disadvantages Satan because he can't use external circumstances to bait you into error. He can't use external circumstances to bait you into error. Because now you've learned rest. You ain't moving till you hear. You ain't moving till the cloud moves. You ain't moving till you know that the Spirit of God is saying, all right, time to move on. Now that that happens, Satan finds 
himself as a, at a disadvantage because he's not able to use logic. He's not able to use your natural desires. He's not able to use your five senses to draw you into flailing aimlessly or exerting yourself or using your human strength and your mental powers to bring to pass what God has ordained. It puts him at a disadvantage. This is why Saul lost his kingdom. He was told specifically, wait, wait, Samuel will, Samuel will come and offer the sacrifice. Saul couldn't wait. It gets to you, man. This idea of doing something is so important. Activity is seen as growth and progress and uh, um, um, strength in God. Inactivity is the hardest thing. Activity is easy. Inactivity is not the absence of a work ethic. You still work hard. But you work as you are told. Holy Spirit loves it when I can walk like this. Because now I'm not tinkering with what God does perfectly. Holy Spirit loves it that I wait. Because now that he can tell me when, where, it's optimal. It happens exactly as it's supposed to happen. I'm always reminded of Mongolia. That was something else, man. Talk about rest. Landing there, being taken to a hotel, having no contact except this one person that I emailed and he sends someone to pick me up and I'm sitting in my hotel. First day goes by, second day goes by, third day goes by and I'm getting scared. I got to do something. I got to make something happen. I can't go back to Acts 29 and said, God sent me to Mongolia but I have nothing to show. I stayed in a hotel and came back. That would be embarrassing. And on the third night, this pastor emails me saying, I'll come and see you on the fourth morning. He comes and he, his, the first question he asks me is, um, why are you here? What have you come to do? And I'm saying, got nothing um, that I've come to do. And he says, that's not possible because everybody from the West who comes to Mongolia comes with an agenda. And I'm saying, I don't have an agenda. And he takes me for a long walk in proper shoes um, throughout Mongolia. Couldn't tell a stranger that this is not my favorite mode of transport. And after walking for two or three hours, he uh, brings me back to the hotel and says, if you're doing nothing, you can come to church. I'm thinking, really? <laughs> That's all? And so I turn up at church, doesn't give me a front seat sitting in the back. Um, tells me to sing a song in Hindi. Which I do, so I was part of the cultural thingy. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, boy, this trip sucks. And so I'm leaving the next day evening. And after all that is over, he calls me home. And I found out later that when you're called home, it's usually a sign of some respect. And then he says uh, these words that two years ago, someone came to this church and said, there will be a person coming from a uh, place that is on the same um, latitude as uh, Ulan Bator, and when he comes to your church, um, listen to him and do whatever he asks you to do. And he says, I've watched you for two and a half days. You actually don't have an agenda, but you are welcome to use this church 
and tell us what to do and we will do it. And that was the beginning of a four-year journey where from 2013 to 2017, we kept going back to Mongolia. People from Acts 29 went too. This is what I mean by the Holy Spirit brooding over you, seeing that you're at rest, that you're not jumping the gun and swooping in like an eagle and doing what he wants to in seconds. This is a, this is a great thing with rest. People who walk in rest can accomplish in five days what it takes others three years to complete. I'm not kidding you, man. And so what does that do? So Jacob, what's the advantage of rest? If you finish in five days what people take three years to do, you realize how many extra days you have to do nothing and to watch hockey and to do things. You get so many more days to do nothing and you get so many more days to do a lot. Fourth point, perseverance. Perseverance, which is very similar to rest. Perseverance. The Holy Spirit can break into lives. The Holy Spirit who hovers over us even before we know something is going to happen can break into our lives when we persevere and don't amend what God is trying to accomplish because we do not have the endurance and the patience to walk through it. In Genesis 8 verse 1, it says, God remembered Noah and sent the wind 12 months and 11 days later. Selah. That's how long that a lockdown lasted. 12 months and 11 days. God remembered Noah and sent the wind 12 months and 11 days later and Noah and his family disembarked from the ark. The guy had the ability to stay. What if he decided this is getting too much? No more masks, no more sitting in the ark. Let's just step out. Didn't happen that way, man. Somewhere between the word that is released and the word being realized, our minds resign because of the delay. Somewhere between the word being released and the word being realized, our minds resign because of the delay. And once you resign, it doesn't matter that you're walking. Once you resign, your walk is slow, your face is glum, your mind is resentful, and your heart is closed. My problem is not that I might have times of down feelings like, ah, shucks, Lord, this is taking too long. My thing is, doesn't matter that you're feeling this way, can you keep your mind active about what God has said so that you don't resign in your mind? The moment you resign in your mind, remember, your walk slows down. Your heart closes. Your mind is resentful. I love what Abraham does in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, God comes and tells him, Hey Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise. But before I confirm that promise to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some animals, bring them, cut them in half and lay them before me. And I also want you to bring some birds and I lay them before me. And so Abraham does that. So you go to Genesis 15 and you read it. Genesis 15 verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven 
and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to me, so shall your offspring be. So this begins, let's assume, let's say it's a Saturday. This begins on, this begins on a Saturday night because God calls him out into the open and shows him the stars. And this doesn't end on a Saturday night. The next day, Abraham, and, and so then God says, bring me a sacrifice. Abraham brings him a sacrifice. Verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And then the birds of the prey come. Birds of prey don't come at night. They come during the day. So he started on Saturday. God has shown him a promise. He knows God is going to turn up. He has to persevere. He stays. He, he takes branches. He takes clothes. He starts driving away the birds of prey. It's through the night. On to the day, the birds of prey come. He keeps chasing them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. This is the next day, Sunday evening. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It was the dread of the God of Jacob, as in the fear of God that falls upon him. And then in verse 17, you see, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And God confirms his covenant to Abraham. Guys, if you want to walk in covenants that God wants to establish with you, persevere, persevere, persevere. Chase away the things that come to draw you away, to distract. Nah, you got to persevere. In 2012, um, we'd been praying for Australia for years. It was one of the first nations we began to pray for. I was praying for Australia for years. You can ask Heidi and a few others who were there at that time. We had a flag from Australia that we would gather around and pray for and finally felt go to Australia, land up in Sydney. Again, just like Mongolia, two days go by and nothing happens and I'm getting scared. And I remember asking this question from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11, God asking me, what do you see? And in my eyes, with my eyes closed, <laughs> I'm saying, Father, I see a lighthouse. And... Uh, um, I'm walking the streets because when you don't know anybody, you can't sit in a hotel for more than 48 hours. So you actually do things you don't like, like walk. And so I'm walking the streets and I've just asked, uh, God's asking me, what do you see? And I say, I see a lighthouse. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Father, what, that's what you've shown, but what does it mean? And I come to this place called Darling ha Harbor and I've just told the Lord I've seen a, I see a lighthouse and I turn around the corner and there's a maritime museum. And as I turn around the corner, there is this lighthouse that they've, taken from some coast and placed in the Maritime Museum. And as soon as I see it, God says to me, you have seen correctly. Don't worry that nothing's happened over the last two days. Persevere and I'll bring to pass what I want to in Australia. Years later, eight years later, now when I see what's happening in Sydney, in Brisbane, I marvel at God's faithfulness. Guys, we sometimes think God is not faithful because we do not know how to persevere to see God's faithfulness. Because there are so many things that are happening at the same time when God is doing something. God isn't just interested in proving to you that I am faithful. He ain't going to jump off the steeple every time you want proof for his faithfulness. When he is about doing something with you, he's also doing it 40, 50, 60, and sometimes an entire nation. 12, 2012, August was when I went the first time to Sydney. Eight years later, eight and a half years later, I can say to you that what God is presently doing in Sydney and Brisbane is beyond what you and I could imagine. And it's not even started. Perth remains because there was a promise given by a man called Paul in India that out of Perth will come such rich stock that you and your church will be blessed. 
that word was given in 2009. In 2010, I remember having something called the State of the Union. Some of the guys like Marcus and Heidi and Chris and all will remember where this promise was given that out of Australia, we will have a lot of stock, S-T-O-C-K. It'll come to pass. The faithfulness of God is often seen through perseverance. There is something to persevere till the fullness of appointed times, like it says in Habakkuk 2.3. This vision is for an appointed time. Do not worry, it will come to pass. There is something to waiting till the fullness of appointed times. And as young people learn it, that we must learn so that God can bring things together into maturity so that God can bring things together into maturity. I used to have this recurring dream for years where every few months I'd have this dream for years on end after I became a believer. And in the dream I'd be chased by people or what looked like people and I'd come to the edge of this cliff and then I'd jump off the cliff and every time I jump off the cliff I land in this most beautiful valley on my feet and it's the most amazing beautiful valley that I could ever have landed in. And I used to think, ah, so God wants me to jump off cliffs and he'll make sure he has me land in amazing valleys. Till one day God said to me, no, what I'm trying to convey through this dream over and over again to you, and you don't seem to get it, is why is it that you always jump off before I tell you to? That I'm having you land in decent places is my grace, but can you stop jumping off till I tell you to? Can you persevere? Can you wait? Because my life was a series of incidents or events during that time where God would say something and I would immediately do it. The, the idea of timing was missing. Perseverance has the ability to take what God is saying, take time, take obedience, put it all together and wait for things to mature. Go to James chapter 5 verse 11. James 5 11. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, James 5.11. Actually, I'm reading from the message. James chapter 5, verse 11, from the message. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power. Staying power is perseverance. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of, of course of Job's staying power. And you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. Sometimes when we don't persevere, we don't get all the details. You get something that does not have the cumin and the um, dill added in. It gets baked before all the ingredients go in. And then it doesn't taste good. Last point. If you want the Holy Spirit to break into your life or break into anything you're building, if you want the Holy Spirit is hovering over things to enter into your life and then through your life flow into others. Guys, I love this one. And this is something that I pray God that we do at Acts 29. You do at your house churches. Whatever you're in charge of, make sure that you build by pattern, that you build by pattern. There's two... Um, two 
ways you build by pattern. One by building according to his nature. And two, by building according to his plan. It's not enough to have one or the other. It has to be both. You have to build according to his nature, meaning God can give me a plan and I can be a slave driver as I drive you into that plan. And that does not, uh, it is not conducive to the work of the Spirit. I need to have the plan that God gives and I also need to have the nature that God has if something is to have the Spirit of God absolutely validated. Nor can I have just the nature of God and not have the plan of God. Because then I do have God's nature, but I don't know where I'm going. It has to be both. Whenever you build, build according to pattern and the Holy Spirit will come upon it like a ton of bricks. You see that in the Bible. Moses built by pattern. You look at Exodus 25. Exodus 25 verse 40. Exodus 25 verse 40. God says to Moses, hey Moses, as I, um, sh go ahead. Uh, how can you make the difference between? How do we know the difference between God having us wait and God, um, and the devil delaying plans? Um, uh, what I do when things don't happen is I go and ask God, so how come it's taking time, Father? Is this you trying to sort out details, uh, sort me out? Or is, the, is this the devil trying to interrupt and stop? Because uh, based on what you, uh, uh, based on the answer you arrive at will be your response. If it is the devil doing it, then we need to combat it and drive him out of it so that things begin to flow. If it is God doing it, then I have to make the changes that I need to make. You see this with Nehemiah. There was a time when Nehemiah was building the wall and they, a guy who's friends with Tobiah, I think, comes to Nehemiah and says to him, hey Nehemiah, it might be best that you stay within the temple because people are out to kill you, so stay in here. And Nehemiah realizes this ain't from God. And he says, am I going to hide? This is a method being used by the enemy to cause me to hide so that they will go and say, Nehemiah is hiding. Don't worry, nothing is going to be built. Nehemiah knew that it was a trick of the enemy. So one asks God when things get delayed, Abba, is this something that you are trying to prevent? You are trying to sort out? You're trying to fix? You're trying to show? Or is this the enemy? And if it is the enemy, Father, uh, show me how to combat it. And if it is you, show me what you want to change. We must get to a point where uh, when we talk like this, we don't think it is a hard thing. Because when we talk like this, we think, oh, so I've got to go talk to an invisible God who will then speak back in an inaudible voice. How's that going to work? We don't think like that because we know it works and that it is becoming more and more normal. So we don't even go down that route of... This ain't going to be easy. This answer won't come. This will be guesswork again. Not true. First Corinthians 2 says, Spirit people will be shown spirit truths 
by the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who knows the mind of God and reveals it to you. Building by pattern. So Exodus 25.40, God says, See that you make everything that I've told you according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. When he disappears into that um, cloud, God begins to show him the pattern according to which things have to be made. Moses does it exactly as he's told. Go to Exodus 40. Exodus 40, verse 34. Whenever you build according to pattern, see what happens. Exodus 40, verse 34. <laughs> I started at verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Guys, it doesn't matter whether it's your business. It doesn't matter whether it's your baby. It doesn't matter whether it's Acts 29. It doesn't matter whether it's your travel plans. Whenever you build according to pattern, God by his Power by his glory descends to validate what you have built. Because whenever, whenever anybody takes the plan of God and the nature of God and employs it in building anything, God says, this piece was created by me. I need to sign it so that they know this piece is authentic. In every area of life, if you're a businessman, my God, build according to the nature of God and the plan of God. If you're planning to start a business, same principle applies. Man, these things that I'm saying, these principles are so precious for life. It could give us such a smooth 2021 with only the devil to deal with. Which is easy in the name of Christ. It is us that's hard to deal with. Another example is David. David makes this really cool statement in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 10. Even when he got directions for the temple, man, God literally gave it to him. I don't know how he gave it to him. Go to 1 Chronicles 28. Uh, it's fascinating how the Bible just slips in these lines as if it was matter of fact. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 10. So he's telling Solomon, listen, consider now for the Lord has chosen you. Because David's got all the stuff to leave for Solomon. And consider now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Go, go to verse 19. And he's explaining to Solomon, listen, follow the plan. And then he says, all this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. Just imagine this. You think God is not willing to let you in on his plans? Then why does he say stuff like, Jeremiah 29, 11, my plans are good for you. Really, Father, what are those plans? Oh, I won't tell you. No, his plans, if they're good, if they're meant for a future, are meant to be revealed to you. If he can do it to David in the old covenant, how much more to Jacob in the new covenant? Look at what David is saying. All this David said, I have in writing, as in as God dictated or as God showed. Guys started writing. Why? Because he's got to leave it for Solomon. We've got to leave plans for the generation after us. 
so that they don't have to start from scratch. So that they can build a second tier, not the ground floor. I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and I don't know how, what that meant, whether it was like Ezekiel, the Lord's hand was on me, or the Spirit of God showing him, or a vision. And he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan, as in almost like an architect or an engineer, David was able to understand what God was saying and he began to write it down so that he knew how uh, round, what the diameter of the bronze lava was supposed to be, how uh, the pomegranates were supposed to be, how the pillars were supposed to be, everything in detail and the spirit of God enabled him to understand it. And look what happens when Solomon decides to build according to plan. 1 Kings 8.11 1 Kings 8.11 Oh my God, man, this is something else. When the priests... Um, okay, so Solomon has now built the thing, built the temple. Um, and then he brings the ark into the temple and starting at verse 9, 1 Kings 8 verse 9. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Do you see? It's a standard line. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The, Moses, the glory of the Lord filled the tent of meeting. Solomon, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You build according to the plan of God that constitutes two things, uh, contains two things, the nature of God and the actual schematics of God. You build according to the plan of God. The glory of the Lord will fill the temple every time. Acts 29 employs any schematic that God gives for the building of this church and does it according to the nature of God. It does not matter how uh, uneducated and illiterate your leaders may be. If it is built this way, God turns up and he validates what is built. And how does he validate it? With his glory. And what is his glory? His glory is his presence. His glory is his power. His glory is his goodness. And his glory is his laughter. I don't use the word joy because joy has become so Christian that we don't even smile at it. Except when we sing joy to the world. Laughter. God's glory is God's presence, God's power, God's goodness, and God's laughter. God validated. And then it doesn't matter that you might be a fisherman with no education. You suddenly have the greatest weapon of the kingdom dwelling upon you. The glory of God. It is the greatest weapon in the kingdom. It is the greatest tool of evangelism. It breaks upon you. You wear it and then it breaks through you. It becomes your sword. It becomes your sickle. It becomes your plow. The glory of God becomes your sword, becomes your sickle, becomes your plow. This picture that I put up on the screen, I don't know if you can see it, but the idea of this picture was the ability to break in. Doesn't matter how hard things are, God has a strange ability to take you, a tender shoot, like his son was, as it says in Isaiah 53. 
a tender shoot he takes and he has the power to break into hard nations, hard situations, hard lives. But let him first flow to you so that you begin to open up. And once you open up, he can take you and put you into the hardest of nations, hardest of grounds, hardest of lives, hardest of situations, and you end up cracking the foundation of that place. Take these points, man. Sometimes when I teach these points, I think to myself, oh, shucks, this is brilliant. Where did this come from? So like I said before we started, the power for breaking in is here. The anointing for breaking in is here. It is here and it is present. And therefore it is there in your house and it is present. And he hovers over us right now. The Holy Spirit, in God's faithfulness, hovers over us. The promise is, I want you guys to become a people who can break in to situations I have placed before you in 2021. But first, allow me to break into your lives. And the response is Luke 138. Look at Luke 138 and then we'll pray. Luke 138. It's Mary's response. And her response is, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. So I'll just let you pray quietly for a minute and then I'll end up praying. And what are we praying? That Holy Spirit, you who brood over us right now, you who hover over us, so that you may break into our lives, bring forth fruit, and then break into lives through us. This is something that you want to give us an anointing for, as in you're giving us the power to do that. Not starting on January 1st, starting today, but continuing into 2021. Some of it may show forth in healing, some in prophecy, some in comfort, some in teaching, some in helping the naked, the prisoners, the poor. But you will have us break into hard ground that needs just a touch from the master. So just pray on your own in your house for a minute and then I'll conclude. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you're doing something new, Abba. You're 
you're doing something new. It's almost like we are at that place where you're saying, allow me, allow me. If you allow me, the long desires of your heart for many, many years, the things that you wanted to see, even as it says in the book of Haggai, where the days of latter glory, which will be greater than the days of former glory, that is going to, that's going to happen. Father, none of these things can happen without us giving you time. None of these things can happen without us yielding to you. So right now, right now, as a body, as a people, as Acts 29, we say, yes, Father. We say, yes. I want to give you the time, Abba, for your seed to break forth. We want to give you the time for your seed to break forth. We want to allow you, God, and we want to say our emotions, the ways we feel about things, the ways we hear sometimes, sometimes it being mutated by the ways of our old thinking. No, no, no. We are surrendering that. We are surrendering that because Jesus, you're saying, I'm, I'm going to break forth a new thing. Life is going to shoot forth. And I want to surrender everything, Father. So even right now, even right now, all of us at Acts 29, regardless of when and where we hear from, we say, yes, Holy Spirit, break forth into my life. Break forth into our lives so that through our lives, others' lives will be broken open. So that others' lives will be broken open. Father, I pray that this week and moving forward, let there be stories about stories of healing breaking open. Stories where addictions stop. Stories where heaven comes down. Stories where the treasures of earth are exposed. The treasures of earth are exposed. Father, I ask you for your eyes so that when we go out into the world, we will see the, the treasures of the earth. The treasures of the dark places, which is lives, lives, lives that Jesus is wanting to break into. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us this word today. And we surrender we surrender individually, we surrender corporately, and we say yes to your breaking into our lives. Yes to your breaking into our lives. Enough is enough, Father. Enough is enough. We have heard much. Now we want to do. Now we want to act. Now we want to see. Now we want to see, Lord. And so when we go, go forth, when we, when, we, when we are out in the world, we expect to see. We expect to see the treasures of darkness coming out because you're saying appear you're saying come out and so our words will say the same words appear come out prison doors broken open blind eyes seeing ears hearing because the word of the lord is going forth father we we say yes we say yes father i say one more thing and this is my prayer for acts 29 that when these things happen about let us not hide it and say this is a small thing. Oh yeah, it happened. There's something else is going to happen after and then I'll share it with others. No, no, no. Come out. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it from the rooftops. Let others see. Let others hear the goodness of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.